Well, if you have your Bibles with you, I now invite you to turn to Psalm 49. As we've been making our way through the Psalter, we're going to be briefly meditating on Psalm 49 this afternoon. And the caption of the psalm says, To the choir master, a psalm of the sons of Korah. And so that tells us the psalm was composed with public worship in mind, saying to the choir master, right? Uh, and that it's a, the psalm, or it tells us the psalm was composed uh, with that in mind, and also probably uh, by, or at least certainly for, the sons of Korah, the clan of the tribe of Levi, who had the responsibility of singing in the temple. So that would make sense. The psalm is classified as a wisdom song by Bible scholars. Uh, its content and its tenor uh, go hand in hand with the kinds of things we find in Proverbs and especially Ecclesiastes, as we'll see as we go through uh, the psalm this afternoon. Its main point is to show the futility of earthly riches apart from a true covenant relationship with the Lord. It's not saying being rich is bad and being poor is good, or being poor is bad and being rich is good. It's saying that apart from a relationship with the Lord, these things are meaningless. Verses 1 through 4 are an introduction to the psalm, and then verses 5 through 13 offer observations about uh, earthly riches, especially the folly of trusting in them. And verses 14 and 15 then are, are observations about death and uh, present, uh, or they present rather a, a clear difference between the godly and the ungodly in regard to death. And then verses 16 through 20 are the conclusion of the psalm. So the introduction is found again in verses 1 through 4. The psalmist calls on all the nations, before he gets into the meat of what he's going to talk about here, he calls all the nations to hear what he has to say. And he especially calls people of all situations, low and high, he says, uh, people of every station or economic and social power, the rich and the poor, those who either might rely on their earthly position or riches, or who might envy the position and the wealth and the power of others. Low and high, rich and poor, together he calls upon here. So here are the first four verses, the introduction to the psalm. Hear this, all peoples. Give ear, all inhabitants of the world, both low and high, rich and poor. My mouth shall speak wisdom, the meditation of my heart shall be understanding. I will incline my ear to a proverb, I will solve my riddle to the music of the lyre. So he's saying, I'm going to, in other words, I'm going to write a song here about things that you, people of all nations and all statuses, uh, should listen to. And so then verses 5 through 13 get into the, the meat of what he's talking about. They contain observations about earthly riches. Uh, notice he's especially concerned uh, that someone has gained riches unlawfully. He's not saying everybody who's wealthy has unlawfully gained riches. That would be sort of a uh, Marxist kind of position, and the Bible doesn't present anything of the kind. Uh, we find very wise and godly men throughout Scripture who are incredibly wealthy. Some aren't, and some are. So we have Abraham and Job as examples of very godly men who are also quite wealthy. Uh, <clears throat> but here, in fact, the, the psalmist is concerned about somebody who's gained uh, riches unlawfully, and particularly at his expense. <laughs> they they trust in their wealth, they boast about their riches, he says. So, uh, verses 5 and 6, he says, Why should I fear in times of trouble? 
when the iniquity of those who cheat me surrounds me. Notice, by the way, he starts off by asking, why should I fear? Because his focus is in the right place. He's, he's focusing on the Lord. If you don't focus on the Lord, you have much to fear about what the uh, status of the economy is, for example. I mean, here he says, why should I fear in times of trouble when the iniquity of those who cheat me surrounds me? Those who trust in their wealth and boast in the abundance of their riches? You know, think of the Jewish leaders who in their attempt to hold on to power, which rightfully belonged to the Lord's Christ, right, falsely convicted Jesus and conspired to have him killed by the Romans. Somebody who has been cheated, certainly, like the psalmist here. And he says, somebody's cheated me. The, these people who cheat me have surrounded me. Uh, they trust in their wealth, but what do I have to fear? The psalmist says that earthly wealth does nothing to escape death, which is God's judgment for human sin. Uh, we can neither buy ourselves out of heaven, nor can anyone else uh, buy us out of heaven except for Christ himself, or out of hell, rather. We can't buy our way into heaven. We can't uh, uh, buy ourselves out from under God's judgment. And no, uh, we can't buy anyone else out from under God's judgment with our earthly riches. He says, starting in verse 7, Truly no man can ransom another or give to God the price of his life. For the ransom of their life is costly and can never suffice that he should live on forever and never see the pit. So it doesn't matter how much wealth we attain in this world. We can't make ourselves immortal. Like Solomon in Ecclesiastes, the writer sees that the, the wise and foolish, rich and poor, all die. Everybody dies. We're all subject to death. People work their whole lives, he says, to gain wealth, and they die just like the beasts who barely have enough to get them by from one day to the next. He says, starting in verse 10, For he sees that even the wise die, the fool and the stupid alike must perish, and leave their wealth to others. Their graves are their homes forever, their dwelling places to all generations. Though they called lands by their own names, man in his pomp will not remain. He is like the beasts that perish. So those who built great palaces, named lands after themselves, what do they get? They get a small plot of dirt to lay in. They occupy a small grave or a tomb as long as this world lasts. No matter how glorious a man's life on earth might seem, he dies like everyone else, even like animals do. So the psalmist recognizes the folly of confidence in earthly riches. Even though others may not see it, and they might praise the vanity of the rich man who has died, he sees that there is nothing to glory in here. He says, this is the path of those who have foolish confidence, yet after them people approve of their boasts. You notice there's a sila there in the text that, uh, that tells us to stop and consider what the psalmist just said, the folly of trusting in earthly riches and the inevitability of death. Again, he's not saying that earthly riches are themselves evil. God will, may bless you with great earthly riches or may not. And that will be for his own good purposes either way. 
And if you have earthly riches, use them wisely. But don't trust in them. That's what the psalmist is saying here. There's a folly of trusting in those things. We need to have our focus on the Lord. Again, if noted that this is much like the book of Ecclesiastes here, and, and so much like Solomon in Ecclesiastes, this the psalmist is pointing us to remember the Lord in the days of our youth. Verses 14 and 15 then, observe that death comes to all, but there is a great difference between what happens to the ungodly and the godly surrounding death in terms of the extent of death's power. Those confident in earthly wealth and not confident in the Lord will go to the grave, they'll go to death just like everyone else does, and they'll be judged by the upright. Or we could translate that the upright one. Jesus Christ, the righteous one. So we see that in verse 14. Like sheep, they are appointed for Sheol. That's the grave or the, the place of the dead, right? Death shall be their shepherd. And the upright shall rule over them in the morning. But while the ungodly are doomed to remain under the power of death, and as we see this fleshed out more in Scripture, as we see in the in the New Testament and Revelation, that there's a second death, the lake of fire, right? Uh, they're going to be consumed in Sheol, literally the text says here. So we can read that as both the fact that, that they'll rot in the graves and they'll be burned in the lake of fire, right, that's prepared for Satan and his servants. The godly will be ransomed from the power of death and be received into God's glorious presence. He says here, their form shall be consumed in Sheol with no place to dwell, but God will ransom my soul from the power of Sheol, from the power of death, for he will receive me. And there's another Selah there. So that calls us to stop again. Pause. Consider that death takes everyone, but there's a very different way in which uh, it, it uh, functions relative to whether somebody has a righteous relationship with the Lord or not. For the godly, the sting of death is taken away. He's ransomed. His soul is ransomed from the power of Sheol, from the power of death, and he's received by the Lord. As Paul says, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord, to await that glorious day of resurrection to everlasting life in a glorified body. But... For the rest, they are consumed in Sheol, with no place to dwell, the psalmist says. Well, then verses 16 through 20 then give us the psalmist's conclusion to all of this. You need not be afraid of the riches of the wicked and their earthly power and glory. They're going to die just like you and everybody else. They're going to leave their wealth behind. They're going to have nothing but the wrath of God beyond this life. So, in other words, to use the popular proverb when people say you can't take it with you, that's what the psalmist is saying here, but he's saying far more than that. The difference isn't whether a man is rich or poor, but whether he has godly wisdom or not. The psalmist calls it here understanding, whether he has understanding or not. Like Solomon in Ecclesiastes, this psalmist concludes that wealth is meaningless unless you have understanding. And then wealth is a great blessing from the Lord. But without understanding, it's meaningless at best. A wealthy man who does not know the Lord can no more escape death than an animal can. This implies, of course, that the one with understanding, with the fear of the Lord, that is the beginning of wisdom, will 
have more beyond this life. Remember, as the psalmist said, the Lord would receive him. But he writes here at the end of the psalm, Be not afraid when a man becomes rich, when the glory of his house increases, for when he dies he will carry nothing away. His glory will not go down after him. For though while he lives he counts himself blessed, and though you get praise when you do well for yourself, his soul will go to the generation of his fathers, who will never again see light. Man in his pomp, yet without understanding, is like the beast that perish. May we therefore have understanding that we would not be like the beasts that perish, but be received into glory. And let's uh, go ahead and sing the rest of this psalm as we turn in our psalters to Psalm 49, Selection C. Why don't we stand together as we conclude our time of worship this afternoon by singing Psalm 49, C.